listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Good morning, everybody. Uh, If everyone could go ahead and please find their seats. We're going to begin by reading our text from 1 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand and we will get one to you. Uh, And if you don't already own a Bible, go ahead and keep that copy. Uh, It's our gift to you. If everyone could please stand with me. We're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, Verses 12 through 31. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose, all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all inter-hire the higher gifts? And I will show you a still more excellent way. This is God's word. Well, good morning. It's good to gather with you this morning here at Sojourn. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. And if this is your first time gathering with us, grateful that God has brought you to be here, whether you came with family or friends or you're just here checking out uh, who Jesus is maybe or what church is like. We're grateful that you're here no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey this morning. As we dive into 1 Corinthians 12, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless this time. Father, we come before you this morning and want to give thanks. We want to give thanks. 
for your grace. We want to give you thanks for your mercy and your kindness and your love towards us. And God, we want to give you thanks for this church that you have brought us together. I give you thanks for the men and women who serve our church week in and week out. I give you thanks for the fact that those that volunteer within Sojourn Kids have a bit of a break this morning and that we can be together. I give you thanks for our kids, the future church. God, we praise you today for your grace and your power and your presence. And so, God, I pray as all of us fill this room up this morning of all ages, all backgrounds, all kinds of life stages and different experiences in in, in our lives. God, would you just help us to be united together to receive your word by the power of your Holy Spirit? I pray, God, that you would work in us so that you might work through us. And so we pray that you'd bless this time. We ask that you would lead us and guide us in it. And above all, God, we pray that you would be exalted. We ask and pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, In case you didn't know this already, if you're either new to the church or or just haven't listened to uh, much of what I say at times, my family is a, a big baseball fan family. We love cheering on the Nats even when they lose their first two baseball games of the season, uh, but we enjoy watching baseball, participating in baseball, doing all things baseball. In fact, this week, Amy and I had the opportunity to go to opening day as the baseball season got off to a start this past Thursday. And I love actually going to baseball games because when I'm at the stadium watching the game, I, I kind of feel like I'm a part of something. Something a little bit bigger than myself as we're cheering on and excited for what's happening on the field. And, and in some ways, I am a part of something. I mean, cheering fans are a part of the game. You hear players talk about that. Like, man, it was helpful to hear the fans cheering us on during the game. But at the end of the day, I'm not a part of the team as much as I would enjoy that. I'm a spectator. I'm there to watch. You know, sometimes when it comes to our own participation in the life of the church, It can kind of feel or be the same way. We can be there cheering on from the sidelines, but if we're not paying attention, not intentional, we can subtly become spectators. We can kind of just hang out, be spectators instead of partners and participants in what God is doing. And when that happens, we lose a team mentality and start to embrace a me mentality. It can creep up and manifest itself in all different kinds of ways. Maybe for you, when you struggle with that, you can think that you aren't needed or necessary when it comes to the life of our church. Maybe you can be tempted to think that you aren't valued. Maybe for some of you, you think you're really valuable, more valuable than others. Maybe for some of you, you think you can do this on your own. Or maybe you think, well, somebody else will take care of that for me. And instead of moving forward in faithfulness, we can become divided and stuck from really moving anywhere at all. But that's the exact opposite of how Jesus designed his church. See, when Jesus designed his church, when he said that he was going to build his church, he intended to bring people together and give us an opportunity not to sit on the sidelines of what he's doing, but to be a part of the team for all of us to be all in. And what he's doing in and through his people, in and through his church. Last year as a church, we introduced this idea of our confident hopes. 16 things that we are hoping and praying and working towards to see become a part of the culture of Sojourn Church. 
And you can find a copy of these in the lobby if you don't have one. It looks like this, this little sheet of paper, and it has those hopes on them. So grab those in the lobby on the resource table. They're on our website as well. But we're calling these confident hopes because we believe that these are things that the Lord wants to do, that he wants to cultivate within our church, and by his power and his provision and his grace, we'll actually be able to see these things come to fruition. Apart from his power, apart from his grace, apart from the Holy Spirit, we can't do these things. And all of these confident hopes, they flow out of why we exist as a church and how we will continue to exist as a church. Why we exist as a church is to glorify God by making disciples. And how we will continue to exist as a church is by embodying an every member ministry culture. An every member ministry culture of disciples making disciples. Followers of Jesus, as we are following Jesus, we want to see more people come to follow him as well. Well, the text we're going to look at today in 1 Corinthians 12 that Rebecca just read is a challenge from the Apostle Paul to be able to do just that. See, the main idea that we're going to see in this text is that if we are going to be faithful to what God has called us to do to make these confident hopes the culture of our church, it takes all of us being all in. And so with that, let's go ahead and dive into this text in 1 Corinthians 12. Now, the Apostle Paul is the author of this letter, and he's writing this letter to a church that exists in a city called Corinth. It's a church that Paul helped to start. But as he writes this letter, he's writing out of both love and concern for them because right now they're struggling with some different things. In particular, they're struggling with division and disunity. Because within this church, an individualistic mindset has set in, and a, and a one-upmanship kind of culture has set in. And the section we're looking at today comes immediately after Paul has just finished talking about various gifts and abilities that are given to every follower of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit for the common good of the church. Now, as we're looking at this text, I know it's kind of long, we're going to just look at 12 through 26 this morning, we can really break it down into three sections. And so if you're taking notes this morning, you can write these down, because these are going to be our our kind of guideposts and points as we walk through this text this morning. The first section is really a thesis statement for what Paul is going to say, kind of his main point of what he's trying to communicate to us, and it's this, the church is the spirit-formed body of Christ. The church is the spirit-formed body of Christ. The next two sections that we'll look at are Paul dealing with two problems that can arise within the community, within the church, if we ignore or forget that reality. So let's jump into the first section. You can write this down. The church is the spirit-formed body of Christ. We see Paul start to talk about this in verses 12 through 14. Let me read them for us again. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many Now, in verse 11, as Paul has just ended this previous section, he's made a statement that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, gives gifts 
and abilities to each person as he wills. And so that leads Paul, though, to dive into really a long illustration. And he uses an analogy to explain what the church is. The analogy is, he says, the church is like a human body. Now, every human body, as we know, is made up of a lot of different members or parts, limbs and organs. We are a complex creation as we think about the intricacies of what we are as a human being in the physical sense. There are all different kinds of parts, arms and ears and eyes and toes and hands and feet. They all make up, though, this one body that is unified together. Our fingers and toes and heads and eyes and all those things don't exist separate from themselves. They are united together to form this one body. So Paul says, so it is with Christ. The church is the body of Christ. He's using that analogy in that way, saying God's people make up a body just like our human bodies. But it doesn't magically come to be. It's brought about by the work of the Spirit. Look at verse 13. For in one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Now, people have taken this verse to mean a whole lot of different things. What Paul, though, isn't saying is that there's some second baptism of the Spirit. Notice what he says here. He says all. And when Paul says all, he means all. And so what he's making clear to us is that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a person who has repented and believed in the gospel, that you understand who Christ is, that he is the eternal Son of God who came to dwell on this earth, to take on our humanity, to walk in our weakness in the midst of our brokenness, but did it perfectly, lived a life that you and I cannot live on our own, and then went to a cross willingly, was crucified on this cross, not for anything that he had done wrong, but for our sin and our rebellion against God, so that Christ would take that penalty so that you and I could be reconciled to God, have a relationship with him restored, and then Christ rose again from the grave to give us life forever. If you've believed that truth, the message of the gospel, if you placed your faith in Jesus, then what Paul's saying is then by the work of the Holy Spirit, you are brought into the church. You are brought into the body of Christ, the family of God. This happens at the point of conversion for everyone who believes, the point you place your faith in Jesus. Now this Language of a baptism is interesting here. The word baptism means to immerse. And so what Paul's trying to communicate to you and to me is that the Holy Spirit immerses you into the body of Christ. He he dunks you into the body of Christ. He knits you together and unites you to Jesus and Jesus' people. And so when we practice water baptism as a church, what we're doing is we we are displaying in a visual sense, in a physical sense, a spiritual reality that you've been brought into the body of Christ. But notice what he says next. For in one spirit, we're all baptized into the body. Then he says, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. He gives these different ethnicities and classes of people. And that's not an exhaustive list. See, a lot of thinkers and philosophers use the body analogy in ancient times. This would have been a common analogy to talk about a group of people in ancient times when Paul was writing this letter. But when those ancient philosophers and writers would use the image of the body talking about a group of people, what they sought to do in that is say, there are stronger parts of the body. 
There are more gifted parts of the body, and what the weaker parts of the body should do is serve the stronger ones. Paul takes this common analogy, though, and he flips it on its head, and he tries to communicate something different, the opposite, in fact, of that. See, though each person is different, there isn't a hierarchy of importance or value No, it's from our differences, our different places and different backgrounds that the same Spirit brings all kinds of people into the body of Christ equally. And so it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you look like or what your status is. Those are important realities to your life, but they are necessary to be a part of the body of Christ. Jesus redeems all kinds of people. And that's still true today. There is no one who's too far gone from experiencing God's grace or reconciliation. Your past does not define you. Your background does not define you. Your identity is not wrapped up in any of those things. A new identity is available to you in Christ. And so if you don't yet know Christ, if you've kind of been hanging around the church maybe and and you're just kind of hanging around but you haven't jumped in with Jesus yet, let me invite you to do that this morning, recognizing that you don't have to bring anything to him. You can come empty-handed and cling to Christ, and you will be knit into this family that God has created. But notice what Paul says in verse 14 here, as we see this kind of analogy of the body unfold, what the result is. We are a spirit-formed body, but we're a body that's made up of many parts. Now, that may not seem like rocket science to us because we understand the human body, but Paul's trying to make a point here. See, the result of that saving and redeeming work of all kinds of people is that the body of Christ is not just made up of one part, but many parts. We are brought together by the blood of Jesus, by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so if you are in Christ, you belong to Jesus and to Jesus's people. And that's good news for us. That's grace. It's not something that you do on your own. It's something the Spirit does for you. Man, it's messy at times to think about even just this group of people in here this morning, that we have all kinds of different things going on in our lives, and it can create a a messiness, a tension in our relationships with one another. The Corinthians were experiencing that. And so for a church that's struggling with division, Paul's reminding them of the unity they have in Jesus, but it's not some programmed unity or manufactured unity, it's a spirit-created unity. And the reason he's saying all this is because he wants us to understand that though each person is a unique individual who has different functions and different gifts and different abilities, all parts and all people are valuable in the body of Christ. All are necessary and needed. All have something to offer. And and, and I want you to hear me on that. It doesn't matter how gifted you are or If you think yourself not gifted, you were created in the image of God. And Ephesians 2 says you were created, your Christ workmanship, you were saved to do good works, that God has brought you together to be able to do that. Now look, Paul has laid out this thesis statement that the church is the spirit-formed body of Christ, a body made up of many parts. But now he addresses two problems that can creep up or arise in the church when we forget that truth or we ignore it. The first problem or temptation that we could succumb to is that sometimes we think we aren't needed. And we see this in verses 15 through 20. Look at those verses with me. It says, If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would 
not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. See, the Corinthian church had placed a a strong emphasis on one or two gifts, saying these are better than everything else. And so the people that didn't have those gifts started to feel unimportant or unneeded in the church. And they were believing a lie, the lie that we can often communicate even to ourselves. I'm not good enough. I'm not gifted enough to make any difference or add any value. So what's the point of being involved? I'll just hang on the sidelines. Some of them were caught up in the comparison game, and the comparison game was leading them to be complacent. Now, it's good to look at one another as other brothers and sisters in Christ, and Paul tells us in other places, even in 1 Corinthians, to imitate him as he imitates Christ. And so we can look to others and compare our life to theirs in a way to be encouraged and see them as examples. But this kind of comparison that the Corinthians are doing is not a comparison of encouragement. It's a comparison that leads to envy. Man, I'm not like those people. I'm not as good or gifted in, the eye, in, in my eyes as, as others around me. And so I can start to believe I'm not needed. Has that happened to you? Do you look at others in community and then look at yourself and think, man, what can I offer? What good could I be? Why am I needed? And I think when we start to think those things, it can transition into, well, someone else who's more gifted, who's more called, will do it. But Paul's point in this is, yes, we desire unity, but not uniformity. But we don't all need to be the same. There is beauty in the diversity of gifts and abilities and backgrounds. And everyone is able to be a disciple who makes disciples if we embrace that truth. Listen, the the makeup of a church, even if we just look at our local church here, the makeup of this church with a myriad of backgrounds and gifts and abilities, it isn't accidental. Look at verse 18. It's the will of God. It says, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Now he's talking about the physical body. God decided that arms and legs and toes and all that stuff should go where they go. He's the one that designed us and created us in that way. But the same thing's true for the church the church universal, and the local church. It's not accidental that God has brought you together. He arranged the physical body to have multiple and different parts and functions, and he has arranged the body of Christ, the church, in the very same way. Here's what that means for you. What that means is that your background and your story, your gifts and abilities, the life stage that you find yourself in, it's not inconsequential, and it's not inadequate. You have inherent value in Christ. And you have inherent value in the body of Christ because God said so. And God is at work in you because God wants to do a work through you. And that's true no matter where you are or what's going on in your life right now. That's true for you. If you're a single parent, if you're a college student, if you stay at home with your kids, if you're in middle school or high school, 
If you are at the peak of your career right now and are getting just crushed at work and have lots of responsibility and all kinds of things going on, no matter where you find yourself, that's true of you. Is that God is working in you to do a work through you. Now, I know that some of you are in a particular season of suffering and difficulty right now. And you're struggling with different things going on in your life. And there's, maybe it's a physical thing or a mental thing or just, just the challenges of, of the everyday moments of life. And, and you may be thinking or feeling, that sounds good for when I'm better. But right now, I don't know that I'm needed. I don't even know if I'm capable of contributing anything right now. And if that's you, I want you to listen to me. We need sufferers to be faithful to what Jesus has called us to. We need sufferers to be faithful to living out the implications of the gospel in the kingdom of God because those who are suffering understand in a very acute way how desperate we are for Jesus, how desperate we are for grace and for mercy that we can't do this on our own. And so if you are suffering right now, if you are struggling in life right now, I don't want you to think that you're incapable of being a valued member of this church or that you don't still have something to offer. Paul's going to say in a few moments, moments, you're indispensable. You are valued. Recently, when Edward, one of our other pastors, was going through a, a difficult month of health, all he could really do most days was pray. And we were on the phone one day and seeking to encourage one another and just being encouraged by the fact, just that kind of stepping back for a moment and saying, brother, you, this is not an inconsequential thing. Like you're, you're going before the throne of grace on behalf of this church praying for people. That's not a throwaway thing. Man, God's working in that. So listen, maybe God has given you some limitations right now in your life. Maybe he's given you some limitations, but there is still much that you can do to be a part of an every member ministry culture of disciples making disciples because we're in this together. We're in this together. So please, friend, if that's you, don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your suffering. Don't let us miss out on what God wants to do in you and through you at this church. Maybe some of you just needed to hear that this morning, to be reminded of that reality, that there is no one in this room right now who does not have something to offer or contribute to making much of Jesus in and through this church. And it doesn't really make sense at the end of the day for all of us to be the same in our gifts or abilities or life stages or experiences or backgrounds. Paul says, if we were all the same, there'd be no body, right? We're not just an ear. We're not just a foot. It doesn't make any sense. We would miss out on different gifts and abilities and perspectives that we bring. See, the beauty of God's saving and transforming grace is that even if you think you don't belong because you aren't like someone else, it doesn't make you any less part of the body, Paul says. The body of Christ is by nature diverse in its functions. That's what enables us to work together to make much of Jesus. And that's what we want for our church That's what we mean when we say we want to embody in every member ministry culture where all of us are all in together. We want to be that kind of church. We have to be that kind of church where we not only communicate that but live it out in our lives that everyone is needed no matter what your gifting might be. Now maybe for you right now in your life, you aren't sure how God's gifted you. Like that sounds good, but when you think about, well, I don't know what God's done to wire me in a certain way that could be helpful for the church. 
And there are a lot of different ways and methods that people talk about finding out what your giftings might be. But let me encourage you with just three simple things that you could do this week. The first is just to pray. And if it's the Holy Spirit that forms you, the Holy Spirit that gifts you, ask the Holy Spirit to show you how he's gifted you. The second thing you can do is just think about things that bring you joy as you serve Jesus, that give you life as you serve Jesus. And then third, go to your community. Ask people around you. When they look at your life, they observe the way that you live, where do they see gifting rise up within you? Man, God's done something unique in you. Sure, everybody's called to encourage. Everybody's called to evangelize. Everybody's called to show mercy. Everybody's called to be loving. But I think there's something unique about the way God's called you to do that. Man, let the people that know you best speak into your life in that way. The church is the spirit-formed body of Christ, a body made up of many parts. Sometimes we think we aren't needed. But sometimes, and our second problem from this text, is sometimes we think we don't need others. The second problem we see in verses 21 through the beginning of verse 24. Let me read it for us again. Paul writes, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. See, some people in Corinth weren't seeing themselves as unneeded. They were looking around, particularly at the weaker people or less gifted people, and thinking, I'm better than everybody else. I'm more gifted than other people. I really don't need those people. But Paul is quick to rebuke that way of thinking. In fact, as we see in this, he says the parts that seem weaker are actually indispensable, like we just talked about. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we give greater honor to in our physical bodies. Why? Why is he relating this to the church? Because in Jesus' kingdom, it's when we admit our weakness that we're made strong. Because in Jesus' kingdom, it's the meek that inherit the earth and the poor in spirit who the kingdom of heaven belongs to. See, Paul's confronting pride and arrogance and one-upmanship. He's saying to us, don't judge others based off of appearances or first impressions. When we just look at someone and we kind of size them up, like, ah, I don't need to get to know that guy or that girl. Now, Paul's addressing that, saying, listen, all people have value. All are necessary and needed. Maybe you just need to discover that within the person around you. See, this is the upside down. This is upside down to the way that the world thinks. The world seeks to elevate and exalt those who have great giftings and are uh, charismatic in their leadership and their abilities and all those kinds of things. But it also represents the upside down nature of Jesus' kingdom because what Jesus says to us is that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. See, Paul is challenging something else that's present in the church at times. He's challenging individualism. This idea that we believe that we're good on our own. But one key thing we learn from this text is that we are not called to be Lone Ranger Christians, followers of Jesus. It can't just be a me and Jesus mentality. Following Jesus is not just about a personal faith. It's about being brought into the body of Christ. It's fundamentally corporate in nature. And so we're not merely saved as individuals, but by the work of the Holy Spirit, saved into this community, saved into a family a body of fellow believers. 
And so when we think we don't need others, when we think that we can't benefit from others, especially those that are different than us, we lack humility and we misunderstand the gospel. We misunderstand what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. See, body parts in a physical sense are interdependent, not independent of each other. The same is true for the church. We need each other. But do you actually believe that? Does your life evidence the fact that you need people in your life? Or do you feel like, man, I'm, I'm kind of good on my own? See, the Corinthians were elevating certain gifts over others and using that to create this hierarchy of importance in the church. But listen, the purpose of spiritual gifts is always to build one another up and to care for one another, not to flaunt your own spirituality. That temptation is still present in the church today. In the American church in particular, we can easily elevate certain giftings and leaders. The thing that comes to mind for me is that often in the American church, pastors get a whole lot of prominence. But that's so backwards to what Jesus modeled for us. Though he was strong, he became weak to serve the weak so that they might be strong. Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Yet Jesus is the most gifted person, the most spectacular of people. And so Jesus' under-shepherds, his pastors and his churches, sure, they're called to shepherd the church, but to do so as servant leaders like Jesus. It's you, the church, that's called to do the work of ministry. Without you being actively involved in the midst of what God is doing here, there is no movement. There is no church. And so your voice in your participation in the life of this church and the life of what God is doing in the midst of this is just as valuable, if not more valuable, than mine or any other pastors in our church. And we can look around at culture and we can say, we can acknowledge the fact that there are a lot of gifted pastors and preachers out there. There are great worship albums that we can listen to. And I'm encouraged that you guys spend time during the week listening to podcasts and listening to worship albums to encourage you and help you. But listen, podcast sermons and worship albums never replace being involved in the local church. It's this group of imperfect disciples here who God has given you as a gift to help you be a faithful follower of Jesus, and that's exactly how God intended it to be. Look at the second half of verse 24 through 25. Paul goes on to say, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. God ordered the body, both the physical body and the church, in a particular way with different people, different gifts, and different abilities so that there's no division. It's a picture of unity in the midst of diversity. And God's good design for his church is that the body of Christ, all members, work together for the good of the whole, caring for one another, encouraging one another, serving one another, speaking the truth in love. Sometimes that doesn't happen. And just like a human body can get sick, so can a church body. Disease can creep up and mess things up. The Bible calls it sin. See, what can hinder an every member ministry culture is when diseases like envy and rivalry or one-upmanship exists. Things like gossip and slander, pride and arrogance, isolation in our lives. 
a lack of love, a lack of long-suffering, when we go more on sin-hunting trips than grace-hunting trips in each other's lives. This happens, though, when we forget the truth of verses 12 through 13, that Jesus has saved you and he's brought you together by the power of his Spirit to be his body. But when we realize and remember and rejoice in the gift it is to be one body made up of many parts, what happens then in our life together is that we don't look to those who are different than us or weaker than us or struggling or suffering. We don't look to people like that as annoyances or obstacles to our agenda. We look to them as gifts, the gifts to our collective life and community to help us be faithful, to be disciples who make disciples. I think that's why Paul says what he does in verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We get this in our own life. If my foot hurts or my toe hurts, it affects my whole body. I'm not able to do certain things. If I do something to my back or my arm or whatever, it's going to affect me. God's created our bodies to be affected in that way. And that happens within the church too. That if we're really connected with one another, if we're really all, all in with one another, when someone else is going through difficulty, we feel the pain. And it's okay to suffer. It reminds us of our unity together. But we also know this when it comes to honoring things in our life. When someone wins a race, we don't go to them and look at their legs and congratulate their legs. Right? We're like, legs, you did a great job today. No, we look at that person and say, man, awesome job, congratulations, you crossed the finish line, you have a personal record, you just made it, you know, like we congratulate the person as a whole. See, we understand that about honor, that when one person is honored, we can rejoice together in that. We don't look at one another in an envious way, we celebrate with one another, and it tells us it's okay to honor people. In fact, we could probably do a better, that, a better job of doing that in the church. It reminds us of our diversity I may not be the one who ran the race in this particular area, but that guy did, and I'm excited that I get to do this with him. See, it reminds us that by God's grace, we are brought together by the Spirit, and we're able to embrace our different backgrounds and abilities as gifts of grace for our good and God's glory. Listen, you and I get to do this together. We get to. And so if you are in Christ, the Spirit of God has uniquely and purposefully gifted you. That means that there is no overly important or unimportant gift or person in the body of Christ in the church. And see, when we embrace the truth of this text, we learn something crucial for the health of our own church. We are all needy and needed. We are all needy and needed. We cannot do any of this apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And so I want us to to see this, to believe it, to live it out so that we might be a humble people, a faithful people to do the work that God has called us to. And this text is one of the reasons why we do church membership, why we say, man, well, I'm going to covenant together with you. I want to commit to you. I want to be all in with you because I need you and you need me. Our desire for our church is that we would embody an every member ministry culture of disciples making disciples. And this text paints a picture of how we're able to do that. We are the church, the spirit-formed body of Christ, a body made up of many parts. And we have a Savior, friends, who is worth following and a gospel that is worth sharing. 
So let's go all in together because we know and believe that in the body of Christ, all of us are valuable and necessary to all that God has called us to do for his glory and the good of others. As we come forward now to take communion, we come forward being refreshed and reminded of two things. One, that we are a family together and of the cost of what happened, happened to take place for that to make that so. As we come forward in faith and by choice this morning, we come to eat the bread, a picture of Christ's body broken for us. And we drink the cup, a picture of Christ's blood shed for us. We come forward as a community that was formed by the Spirit because of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. And so as you eat and drink this morning, I want to invite you to do that with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for the grace you've received and to do it with joy for the people around you that God has brought you together to do life and ministry with. And this morning, if you need to repent, if you need to confess to the Lord that you've been kind of sitting on the sidelines, or you need to repent that you've kind of been a lone ranger or looking down on others because you feel yourself more gifted than them, if you need to repent of anything in your life right now that's not pleasing to God, do that before you come forward this morning. And if you're not a follower of Jesus... So grateful that God has brought you to gather with us this morning. We would just ask that you hang in your seat, that you wouldn't come forward to take communion. Because what we want for you before you take the bread and before you take the cup is we want you to take Christ. We want you to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin that, so that you can be reconciled to God, so that you can be brought into this body of believers. So if you have questions about what it means to know and follow Jesus, what it means to be a, a Christian, and let somebody around you know, come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to help you with that. Our church would love to help you with that. For those of you that will come forward, you can come to the tables at the front or the tables in the back. Tear off a piece of bread and take a cup to drink. And what Christ has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we give you thanks. We give you thanks once again for this church. We give you thanks that you have for what you have done and are doing in and through us. And so, God, we pray that you'd continue to do that work. God, lead us to repentance. Help us to turn once again to you in faith that we might be a faithful people. God, I pray that you'd help us to thrive as a church in the sense of what thriving means to you, not the world's definition of success. God, help us to be faithful. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd work in us and through us, that you would fill us so that we might walk in obedience to you, proclaiming your greatness and grace to the world around us. God, help us to be a people who are committed to you and committed to one another, all of us, all in. We praise you this morning. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.